Hello, and welcome to Rough Edges Podcast with Sarah I. Fox. In this podcast, I will guide you through my faith and mental health journey to dispel the stigma surrounding mental illness and to create an empowering resource for those who wish to discover more about these topics. I pray that this podcast will not only bless you, but that it will bring growth and healing to our communities. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Rough Edges. I am here with the wonderful Reverend Jocelyn Jones. Jocelyn is an author, speaker, and entrepreneur. Her background as a journalist, executive director of a nonprofit, and community leader allows her to connect with people from all walks of life. She received her bachelor's degree from the University of Iowa in journalism. After receiving her BA, she earned her master's degree in social work and her master's degree in theological studies. Jocelyn published her first book in 2019 titled Breaking the Power of the Mask. Jocelyn is also an ordained minister and the president of faith on the journey, which is a Christian counseling company specializing in grief and trauma. She is also a master facilitator with the Trauma Healing Institute and the founder of the Trauma Healing Network that offers support to those who are called to the Ministry of Emotional Healing. Welcome, Jocelyn. (laughs) Thank you. I'm so excited to be here with you today. Yes, and I am so excited to have you. So, Jocelyn, I want to get to know you a little bit better. So, what are three things that you can't live without and why? Oh, that's such a fun question. And I hate to admit this first one, but right now I'm struggling to live without my iPhone. I'm team iPhone. I love you Android people out there, but I, I, I'm so used to kind of being on the go in a mobile office. That's kind of the new world we live in where our, our office is mobile. I just had a meeting in the car. Uh, and mm. so I'm used to, to riding with my iPhone. So that's number one. Uh, the second thing I, I can't live without, I would say, is uh, my quiet time. Um, I am an introvert. I am someone who can drive in a car in in silence and be Mm -hmm. communing with the Lord, communing with my own thoughts. Um, And so that's something where I need to re-energize alone with some peace and quiet. And then the third thing I would say um, is uh, a good good meal every once in a while. A good home-cooked meal is something... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> that I just enjoy um, is good food. And so I, I don't know if that's really a good one or not, but that's just the first thing that came to mind. <laughs> <laughs> no, that is amazing. And I do resonate, especially with like the food and like um, just sitting in silence and being able to just be with yourself and your own thoughts. Cause I'm also an introvert and it's just like being in social settings is like kind of draining after a while. So you need that moment to decompress for sure. Yes, all about that. Yeah. <laughs> most definitely so jocelyn i am very interested to hear about your faith journey and how you became like an ordained minister like what made you decide to pursue that wow that's a good question so you know it wasn't in my plan when i first uh, graduated from undergrad i i was saved if you will uh in college in my early 20s i i saw a video, Juanita Bynum, No More Sheets. 
And mm-hmm. when I saw that, I had a breakdown in someone's living room and I gave my life to God. Uh, and um, afterwards, I became active in my church after college and just started working for my church. And mm-hmm. we wor- I worked at the youth center for many years and the youth center it was on Chicago South Side where there was a lot of violence. And I, I saw how families were traumatized by what was taking place in the community. I also was dealing with my own trauma too. And that's what really led me to want to do work around helping people to heal. I, I didn't fully see the big picture, but I you know, decided to go to school to get my master's in social work and working in the nonprofit field. I knew I wanted to be in the ministry of help in some type of way. And uh, I worked at the nonprofit for several years, became the executive director. Uh, but towards my the end of my tenure, I felt like God was calling me to do work in ministry. And I did not know what it looked like. I was discerning for several years and was honestly a little scared, too, because I, I was used to having a nine to five job and stepping out to start something new when you don't even have a clear vision. It's very scary. Mm-hmm. And I remember telling a friend about this saying, I know God is calling me to do something, but what? I don't know. And they encouraged me to fast. And I was at seminary school at the time. And at the end of this fast, I was attending a wedding and I ran into someone in the bathroom and they asked me how I was doing. And I (laughs) responded by just word vomiting all over them. Like, I'm trying to figure out what I want to do with myself. I don't know. God is telling me to start ministry, but blah, blah, blah. And I just gave her an earful. And she finally, when I caught my breath, she told me, she said, listen, Jocelyn, God orders your steps, not your Mm. leaps. It's going to be okay. And, you know, that day I I went home and in those quiet moments, God whispered to me the word journey. And in hearing that word, it was a reminder of a couple things that first, life is a journey of faith. We take step by step each and every day, trusting God to to order our next steps. And Mm -hmm. in this journey, we're going to make some mistakes. We're going to have some failures. We're going to have some setbacks. Jocelyn had a really hard time accepting that because she struggled with perfectionism. But God Mm -hmm. was like, if you can give all pieces of your journey to me, I can do something beautiful with it. And so for me, that's what inspired me to start my company, Faith on the Journey. And it started off as a blog of me sharing testimonies of how God had helped people to heal from tremendous tragedy. And that eventually evolved into a book and a podcast. And then over time, you know, I came across the Trauma Healing Institute curriculum that you mentioned in my bio, which is like a small group Bible study to help people heal from trauma. And I became really involved with that. And I realized I wanted to work with the church. I wanted to help churches to actually begin the process of healing from trauma. And one of my girlfriends was like, well, you know, you might consider uh, getting ordained. You might go through the process of ordination. And I, d- I attend a, a Catholic church. And so unfortunately, there was not a route for ordination for me through that denomination. But there was another uh, Christian community that uh, provided a, a roadmap for women or people who uh, belong to a denomination that does not necessarily recognize women in that role. And I chose to get involved with them and chose the the ordination track there. And it opened up some doors for me because I really did want to be able to not only connect, but also be respected in certain spaces. I think, unfortunately, there's roadblocks for women in ministry 
that I was not fully aware of until I stepped out. Um, one example was I, I was on the path of becoming a biblical counselor. I studied for over a year to become a biblical counselor, took several courses, wrote a 40-page paper to submit to the committee for consideration. And when I submitted, and I'm thinking they responded to me saying, welcome to the next phase. They told me that they wouldn't even read my application because they don't believe in women being ordained. And, you know, so for me, uh, this is just a side story. It's very interesting to see how women um, are sometimes recognized uh, in the the ministry. And so that uh, kind of, I'm getting ahead of myself, but that also has been a motivating factor for me to be able to connect with other women and help them live out their call as well. Wow, that is like incredible. And also, I just really love like the first part of, you know, what you were sharing, especially about the journey. Because a lot of the times we think that we have to get to the next level in order for our lives to like mean something. And it's just like incredible how like even the woman that you were speaking about, she said, God orders your steps, not your leaps. And that just really touched me because so much of like, I'm a perfectionist as well. So, so much of my life has just been like, this has got to be it or this has got to be perfect and everything has to be aligned for like my destiny or whatever. And it's just like, God is just like one day at a time, like one moment That's at it. a time, you know? Yeah. Right. And so that really just spoke to me. And I think even as we're healing too, like, it's not like a linear tr- upward trajectory, you know, it's like ebbs and flows. It's like ups and downs. And, you know, sometimes it's like you, you feel like you won't get past like this low moment in your life, but that's all the more reason for you to keep pushing through on that journey. So I love that. I really love that. Thank you, Sarah. (laughs) My whole soul got me all the way together when she said that. (laughs) Oh, but yeah. And also about the ministry too. Like I, I always knew that, I mean, this is like, could be a whole separate podcast episode, honestly, but just like the fact that there are a lot of churches, like, especially like more quote unquote traditional ones that don't really recognize women in like pastoral roles or roles as like deacons or elders. Like it's just unfathomable to them. And so it's, it's kind of comforting to see like more and more women kind of stepping into those roles because a lot of the times, like, let's be honest, it's like, yeah, I appreciate, you know, our male leaders, but they won't be able to speak to things that are like specific to women, you know, in a way that a woman leader can, you know, but that's just my two cents on the matter. That's (laughs) true. That's more than two cents. That's the reality. Uh, We need, we're so needed in ministry and we're needed in more than just a service capacity. Uh, We have so many gifts to, um, to give to ministry. And I just think that is so sad to see that there's still, Uh, glass ceilings that need to be broken in that area for many women. Mm, Yeah, no, I agree with that. You wrote a book called Breaking the Power of the Mask, and it is your first book. And I am interested to know, like, what is the story behind this book? And how did you come up with that title? 
Yeah. Uh, so the story behind the book. Well, first, I'm queen. I was queen <laughs> of wearing a mask uh, to hide my pain, to hide my issues. And I wore the mask of strength and I wore the mask of perfection. Now, as a black woman, growing up in a culture, strong black woman is something that we often hear about. And so it's, it's quite um, it's actually edified celebrated often um, that you are so strong and uh, that you can hold yourself together in certain situations. And, you know, I think that 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 mask, you know, although sometimes we need to uh, present ourselves as such, and I'm not saying that, you know, in certain environments, it's not necessary to uh, present ourselves as strong, but if worn all the time, it could do some damage. It can really stop us from getting the care and support that we need. And so wearing that and then also trying to be perfect all the time is just tiring. And it just is just unrealistic. Uh, but mm -hmm. doing that and, and always producing, I talk about the producer mask is one of the masks that we can wear where we're producing all the time, working hard all the time in ministry and work overperforming constantly. And so wearing this mask to hide and run from my pain was something I did throughout my 20s and even early 30s. And it got to the point where I'm like, man, so many people wear masks to hide their pain. And mm -hmm. it's one of those things where if you are not only wearing a mask to hide your pain from others, but you're wearing this mask for yourself to run from the pain yourself, uh, then this is a problem. I liken it to COVID. You know, COVID, when we uh, first uh, heard about the pandemic, everyone was encouraged to wear a mask for protection. And mm -hmm. It makes sense to wear a mask if you're exposed to high-risk environments to protect yourself. Similarly speaking, it makes sense to potentially wear an emotional mask if you're in an environment that's toxic and you're not safe to be vulnerable. But at mm -hmm. some point, when you came home from a long day's work or whatever you're doing during a pandemic, you would want to come home and remove your mask because you feel safe at home. Well, right. for some of us, when it comes to our emotional mask, we even at home say we're not taking off our mask. We're going to wear mm -hmm. our mask in front of our spouse, in front of our children, even in the mirror. We keep this mask on. And if mm -hmm. we don't find spaces to be vulnerable about our pain, about what's going on in our life, even with those who are close to us, I mean, in our intimate circles, that's when the mask has taken on a life of its own and now has power over us. And so the whole concept around breaking the power of the mask is breaking the power that the mask has over us. Are we using it as a tool or resource or is the mask controlling us like a Dr. Jekyll, Mr. Hyde's type situation? And so that's the, the whole idea is if we can remove our mask in, in front of even God, first of all, so that God can really begin to work on those places, those hidden wounds in our lives that have never been addressed. And so mm -hmm. it talks about the process of healing from past wounds and finding freedom once we're able to finally put the mask that we've been wearing in check. Mm, wow, that that is so profound. And I love what you said about like, even in our inner circle, sometimes like we feel pressured to like put this face on and show people like, oh, I'm okay. Like, especially when you were talking about the strong black woman, like persona, I call it a persona because it's like, I can't be strong all the time. And sometimes I like pressure myself to be the strong friend or the strong daughter or the strong, like, you know, um, coworker. Like I, I pressure myself to 
uphold that because I think, oh, I'm letting my culture down or I'm letting myself down. I'm letting my friends down if I don't be this person. And it's just like, you know, very, it's just a very like toxic behavioral pattern because it constantly keeps you in a loop of overperforming, as you were saying earlier. And it's just so sad that it's like, even with God, it's like, sometimes we don't want to even be our authentic selves because it either hurts too much or like, I'm speaking for myself, but sometimes I think like, oh, God is like too big and he has so many things going on. Like he doesn't need to hear me crying and complaining about something else like that happened in the past. You know, I mean, I know that's not true, but that's like the narrative that we sometimes tell ourselves because we want to be able to uphold this perfect persona and it's just not realistic. So yeah, It's not, it's not. And I think that unfortunately we come from a culture that perpetuates the idea of wearing a mask all the time and performing and, and and actually you're celebrated when you work yourself to a bone and and never show emotions or deal with certain things and so we have to be counter cultural in a sense when it comes to this and learn that there is power and strength and vulnerability and authenticity and you know balancing the fact that I'm not saying that you go out and tell your business to everyone not everyone is safe Not everyone is mature enough to hold your sacred story, but there are people in our lives who have earned the right to hold us in our pain and want to be there for us. And we will never understand intimacy at the level in which God designed it to be if we don't learn to be able to let that mask of strength, perfection, performance, and all those other things go. Yes, yes, I definitely agree. Like there's freedom and just having a vulnerable moment like you know and there's nothing wrong with that it just makes you human and it makes you real you know yes amen to that (laughs) yes absolutely so I really kind of want to tap into just like your life as an ordained minister and just like the work that you do with churches because you mentioned that you know you do like trauma therapy in a way with churches and try to help them go through like tough moments. So as an ordained minister, if you could change like one, maybe two aspects of how the church currently handles mental health, what would that be? Oh, that's such a great question. I think the first thing I would focus on is really helping churches to understand that you can have Jesus and a therapist. They can coexist together. That's one. I think that secondly, pastors need to understand that they need an out as well. They need a therapist. They need someone they can talk to. I don't think that we understand the load that pastors have to carry. It's uh, um, sometimes unrealistic what they um, have as a burden in terms of caring and shepherding for those who they're serving. And Mm. to think that they are supposed to hold all these things and never have a space to release what they are caring for others is not, it's not good. Right. And so I think pastors getting pastoral care uh, from someone else, whether it's a Christian counselor, therapist is very important. I think that blend of therapy in in our faith is also something that there should be messaging from the church around that subject so people can remove the stigma. Again, coming from uh, Black culture for years, and I think it's shifting, but for a very long time, it was this thought that just pray about it. Just pray the depression away. Just pray your struggles away. And if you don't 
um, get over certain things, and I'm saying get over it in air quotes, if you don't get over certain things, then that means you don't have enough faith. And I think that's Mm -hmm. done damage and harm to people. It's caused people to shut down who might've been struggling with certain things like depression, even suicide, um, dealing with abuse and a number of different things. There's been harm caused by the church. And this is why it's important for church leaders to become trauma informed, to understand mental health first aid and certain practices that they can put in place so that not only the pastor, but the ministry leaders do not cause harm to people. I think if anyone's been in church long enough, they have known certain ministry leaders in their church who've had a double dose of nasty for no reason and have really caused people to feel like they wanted to leave the church. And so that's something that I think, you know, leadership should be cognizant of in terms of who is in their leadership. And if they're in leadership, there needs to be some level of training around at least at a minimum pastoral care and understanding trauma and implications of mental health because they're frontline workers. You know, they are someone who they might work with the ministry leader and not work as closely with the pastor. And so understanding that role of lay leaders being trained and supported is also very, very essential. Yeah, I definitely agree, especially like I feel like it's like a trickle down type of thing where it's like you start off with like the pastors or the elders and it goes all the way down, even as you said, to the ministry leaders, because I think there's like a huge lack of like education and the resources available to like pastors, especially to be able to handle all these other issues. Because while yes, you want to be a spiritual leader and you want to shepherd like, you know, your congregation, but at the same time, as you said earlier, like you are a human being too, and you can't expect it to be able to brunt the burdens. Yes, you can lift it up in prayer, but there are certain things that you kind of need an extra step of like education or deferring to a mental health professional to handle some of those issues. And another thing I really want to highlight that you spoke about earlier was just like, the fact that the church kind of equates like mental health issues with a lack of faith and a lack of like doing like the traditional rituals and everything. It's just, I think, and I could be wrong about this, but I think it has to do with just the fact that we can't separate the mental health from the spiritual health. Like we just think, oh, they're synonymous with one another. And like, oh, if you have something going on mentally, either you're possessed or either you're not reading your Bible or praying. And I just think that's such a terrifying stigma to have in the church because it's like I'm not demon possessed like I just have a chemical imbalance in my brain right? you know like yeah. <laughs> like yeah real. that's so and I and I think you know not I don't want anyone who's listening who comes from that that thought process of theology to think that we're beating beating you up I think that um it it starts with education and I think that Many of us might have grown up to believe that there was only way, one way to approach certain issues. And so we mm-hmm. have to um, just kind of explore some of the things that we have been taught in, in church. And, you know, if you were taught that, I'm, I'm sure your pastor, your leader meant well, and they probably were teaching what they were taught. But I I think that there's more of an understanding now, especially after the pandemic, there's like really good conversations around this subject where people understand, wait, yeah, there could, as you mentioned, be a chemical imbalance. And there is, you know, 
a space where someone can have tremendous faith and still feel all the emotions that God has mm-hmm. given us, right? And mm-hmm. there's certain responses that are actually natural and healthy that can be considered negative emotions. But in reality, they are like, for example, for grief, if you lost someone, it is natural and healthy to grieve and Mm -hmm. to suppress that or try to minimize it. They talk about toxic positivity or in a spiritual standpoint, uh, a spiritual bypassing where you essentially suppress uh, and just uh, put a little sprinkle of happy sauce on top of a situation that is painful, therefore denying yourself the right to have these God-given emotions. When you have um, a theology or culture, culture that you know produces toxic positivity or spiritual bypassing, it can do a lot of damage for someone. It can cause someone to be stagnant in their healing process. It can cause someone to uh, backtrack in, in many different ways. And so I think it's a culture shift. It's an awareness, of, again, from the education standpoint, but also training people to be able to hold people in their pain and to get them to the resources that they need. We can't expect for everyone to go through training and, and be uh, pastors and counselors. That's not the goal, but it's the goal to create a culture where People do feel like they can be vulnerable and they can be properly cared for and directed to someone who can provide that support. Um, Maybe churches can have external uh, Christian counseling partners that they can work with. Um, Maybe they have a nonprofit organization that specializes in caring for those who've experienced abuse or trauma. And so there's a number of different things that churches can do to become trauma informed, but it starts with education and some intentionality around their staff and the messaging that they are uh, sharing with those who are in their pews. Yes. Wow. That, and that's so important because it's like, we are supposed to be as a church, we're supposed to be the place where people can come and lay all their burdens down and people can come and receive healing. A lot of the times it's like, we look at Jesus as our model in other aspects, but then on the emotional level, like Jesus wept, you know, when Lazarus died, you know, and he was angry and like, you know, Mm -hmm. didn't like flip tables in the temple and in the garden of Gethsemane, he had like a huge moment of grief and like, God, take this away from me. Like Jesus had like human emotions. And I feel like there's nothing wrong with being saved and also being able to express those emotions. Agree a hundred percent. And I think the more and more that's taught, even preached about, I, I say all the time, the Bible is a trauma narrative. I mean, when we talk about what happened on the cross, that was traumatic <laughs> to the mm-hmm. to the tenth degree, right? And so when we look at all the things that we see examples of, like suicide and and murder and all these different things that is listed in our book, there's so much that we can extract from that and and teach people and have these authentic conversations around certain subjects that we often might separate ourselves from. I think that's the problem. Sometimes we choose to ignore these big issues that are happening inside the church with members. You know, we kind of put ourselves in one lane that we're only supposed to preach about things that uh, involve increasing someone's faith. 
that is a component of what we're supposed to do. But we have to understand that we are spiritual beings, but we're having human experiences. And if we yeah. only focus on the spiritual without addressing the fact that, you know, this sister is over here struggling to cover her bills. This woman is in an abusive relationship. This brother just lost someone to suicide or gun violence. If we just choose to focus on the spiritual without addressing their human needs, then this is going to be a problem. This is why some people are not choosing to come to church because those needs are being ignored. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, like you said, it's a lot of work that needs to be done, but I believe it's like, by God's grace, we can get to that point where we can be able to serve people in that way. And yeah, we do need to extend a lot of grace because, you know, sometimes it's like traditional barriers that, mm-hmm. you know, get in the way of like, you know, doctrine versus like actually like helping other people and stuff. So yeah, it's not a dig at anybody, but yeah. it's just like, you know, a critique to kind of say that we could be doing better because like the church, like a lot of the times people go to church before they go to therapy. Right. And so, you know, people people would be exposed to the church before they even consider going like to therapy. I've like had people in my life saying, like, all I need is to come to church. All I need is to pray about it. Like, I don't need therapy, you know. So it's like if we are at the front lines in that way, we could direct somebody, you know, in in a better way. Absolutely. Completely agree. Yeah. So I also want to kind of go into like just your work in like managing trauma, because I feel like it's something that's not really talked about in like Christian circles. So my question for you would be, how can a person learn how to turn to God when their situation seems overwhelming? That's a great question. I I think that we we can always turn to God, but sometimes God seems so far away when we're in our valley moments. Mm-hmm. And depending on how uh, tough our situation is, sometimes we're mad at God. We feel like God abandoned us. And uh, we have to realize that God is there all the time, even when he's quiet, he's there. His hand is on you. Um, and you can bring your anger, your frustration. You can bring all those thick, thick, big emotions to God. Um, and he can handle it. And, uh, I think that sometimes one of our struggles is we have been taught that we have to be so proper when addressing God. And, you know, I say like, be real. He already knows your thoughts. He already knows what you're thinking. Uh, and so I think that's first and foremost, but I also know that God uses people to help us in our healing journey. And when it comes to going through a traumatic event, a major loss in our lives, uh, we we can't do this alone. We're not even designed to do it alone. Even if you're a team introvert like myself and you, like we still need our tribe of people who can walk with us when we are feeling very much so alone, like no one understands. And mm-hmm. finding that tribe sometimes does take time. And depending on what type of trauma or situation you've gone through, uh, it could be helpful to find people who've had uh, similar experiences. Uh, maybe, uh, for example, I, I work with a organization called Purpose Over Pain at my church and it's parents who lost their children to gun violence who come together and they support each other and they advocate for uh, gun legislation uh, reform and 
do a number of different things, but they also have support group meetings. And it's, it's something that is a, a club, if you will, that you do not want to be a part of. It's very mm-hmm. painful. I can't imagine what it's like to lose a child. But I do know that them coming together with those similar losses is a level of support that they can offer each other that I can't because I have not walked in that that route or gone down that journey that they have to unfortunately go down. And so mm-hmm. when someone g- goes through a certain type of tragedy or loss, finding individuals who, and I say this loosely, understand uh, t- to some degree the type of struggles that you might be going through can be very helpful through a support group. So finding a supportive community, also plugging into a counselor uh, is very important for that one-on-one support because Sometimes your friends want to be there for you, but first of all, they don't know how, they don't know what to say. They can only do the best that they can. And you don't want to feel like you're being a burden to your friends. And so a counselor who's trained can really support you uh, in this process. And that's one of the reasons why I started the counseling arm of my company to identify Christian counselors who are trained in trauma and grief because they, they know how to blend the mental health principles and the Bible to accompany people through these difficult journeys that they're on. And so I'm a huge advocate for counseling, group work. And going back to your initial question, bring our pain to God. Cause at the end of the day, God, I know to be a healer. I've seen and heard enough stories of people going through tremendous tragedy. And I mean, it was a journey towards healing. And sometimes we're going to remain on this journey of healing until we get to glory. But even with the fact that we might not get to a place of com- complete healing, if you will, it still could be such tremendous progress that we make by just walking it out with friends, the proper support, and God being with us to comfort us in those moments where we feel like the pain is too much to bear. Mm, Wow. That is just so powerful. And I really want to highlight like just a couple of things that you were saying, just like one with community, because sometimes it's like we want to isolate ourselves like when we're going through something hard because we feel like we have to handle this on our own and it's so hard to open up to people. And I just really appreciate the fact that you also highlighted having a mental health support team because that is also important. Like having a counselor, sometimes if it requires it, a psychiatrist or just someone in your corner to help you be able to manage on a psychological level. And then you have your church community or mentors or friends to get you on like an emotional and spiritual level, but we need some type of community. And I'm so happy that you know, you highlighted that because that's an important aspect of it. And just the second thing that you were really talking about was bringing our pain to God, because yes, sometimes he does feel distant and you are angry at him because you're like, oh, you're all sovereign and all loving. How could you allow this to happen to me? And I've wrestled with a lot of those questions myself, but what it all boils down to is the hope, the hope that you have in Christ to keep on going. And that's something for me that keeps me going. Cause there are some moments where I'm like, how did I even get through that? Like it's only by the grace of God that I did. And I am just so grateful that I do have that hope and it, that hope is available to everyone as well. And I'm just so happy that you highlighted those things. 
Yeah, no, and I love your perspective on that too, Sarah. I think it's vitally important. And so so thank you for, for sharing your thoughts too. Yes. So Jocelyn, I do have one last question for you. But what advice or words of encouragement do you have for someone who is struggling to trust God as they face trauma? Yeah, I want you to know that it's understandable that you struggle with trust. I think that in life, we've had so many disappointments with people in our life who we're supposed to be able to trust and we might have been let down. And so I I feel you when it comes to having your guard up, uh, but I do want you to know that God's track record is good. It's solid. And uh, sometimes we have to really uh, recognize that we can put God in the same category as we put humans who fail us. And sometimes we just need to kind of sort through that all and have that real conversation with God and say, Hey, this really hurt me. This disappointed me. I felt like you weren't here for me, whatever the case may be. And ask God to really show himself to us as we are working through our healing process, bring those difficult questions, as I said earlier to God. And, you know, I, I honestly tell people it's okay to, you know, to, no, I say test God in a in a loose way by saying, God, I need you to show me. I need you to show me. And I see how God has shown people, has showed up in a way where it's like those small little blessings, those small little kisses, if you will, from God, where he's like, okay, you wanted to see me? I'm here. Sometimes we're in a place in our walk where we just need God to show himself. And mm. when you ask, I again, be you'll be surprised what God will do to show himself to you, to remind you that he's here. Just because tragedy happened, just because you went through trauma does not mean that God was absent during it. He was with you in those moments to make sure you survived. And he'll be with you on the other side of this to help you to to not necessarily say use the trauma because some when you think about like well did God cause the trauma not necessarily you know this could have been a number of different things that led to it but I do know that we can bring what happened to God and God can use what was meant to take you out and flip that upside down to be used for something that's good uh, whether it's you using it as leverage for starting your own ministry whether it's you becoming someone who speaks to this topic across the country, whatever the case may be, who knows how God can use it if you bring it to him. But it first Mm -hmm. starts off with you being honest about the pain that you've gone through. So that's my words of encouragement for someone. Ooh, I felt blessed by that. So thank you. (laughs) Amen. Yes. So Jocelyn, I want to thank you so, so, so much for being on the podcast with me. And also where can people find you? And do you have any like exciting things coming up? Yeah. So I encourage you to visit my, my personal website. It's a good hub for all the stuff I have going on. That's jocelynjjones.com. Again, that's jocelynjjones.com. But one of the things that I'm excited about is uh, within the next week or so, I'm launching a new membership community for women who feel called to non-traditional ministries outside the church walls. It's called Women in the Ministry. 
womeninthemistry.com. And there um, I'm offering coaching and trainings and opportunities to connect with other women across the country who are also called to start their ministries. So you don't have to go through the struggle that I went through alone. You can meet with other women and really step out into your call, whether it's speaking, writing your book, starting your podcast, doing Christian life coaching, group groups, whatever your calling is, the world needs you. And so I want to help women to step out. And so I'm excited about that project and hope that any woman who's listening would be encouraged to reach out. Absolutely. Well, thanks again, Jocelyn, for joining me. And everyone, please stay tuned for more empowering episodes on Rough Edges. Thank you for listening to another episode of Rough Edges Podcast with Sarah I. Fox. If you want more exciting updates on the podcast, follow on Instagram at rough.edges.podcast. You can also visit the official podcast website at www.roughedgespodcast.com. Thanks again for listening and have a wonderful day.